Coastal at the Boatyard Restaurant, located at 1515 Southeast 17th Street Causeway in Fort Lauderdale. Here, you'll feel part of the yachting tradition of South Florida as you experience the Boatyard's hooked table, seafood-eccentric menu, with fresh catches listed by name of the fisherman who caught them. The Boatyard's open kitchen is also known for premium grilled cuts of meat and a menu that's sourced from local ingredients. Sit inside in modern nautical-themed rooms or dockside and watch the boats cruise by as you enjoy lunch, dinner, and Sunday brunch. Monday through Friday, the locals know that the Boatyard's happy hour is the best place to gather for bar bites and handcrafted cocktails at great prices. And don't miss out on Ladies' Night every Thursday. Call ahead to book your reservation today at 954-525-7400. Clear the airwaves. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is The Real Guy Podcast. Everybody, it's Captain Jeff, and welcome to The Real Guy Podcast. This is the podcast for real guys by real guys. Um, solo tonight, guys. It's been a uh, heck of a week. Kind of a crazy week with um, yeah, a variety of stuff. But first of all, I've banged out a few fishing trips this week. The tarpon have been coming down the coast pretty strong. Uh, not the best bite in the world, but we've been getting on the tarpon pretty good. And um, I don't know. I got a feeling after this full moon, I think uh, we're probably going to be looking pretty good between now and the uh, middle of June. Fish going to start piling in. But um, I don't know. I'm not saying uh, this is like great or anything, but life is changing. And it's changing pretty rapidly. And um, one of the biggest changes is, of course, you know, this concern for the um, for the water quality here in Fort Lauderdale or across the state. So I've been going to these, like, you know, city meetings and stuff. Um, talked to a lot of people in the last six, eight weeks since... Um, since one, we've been doing podcasts. We were doing podcasts on um, water quality issues before the actual sewer breaks here in Fort Lauderdale. But um, ever since then, you know, I've met a whole bunch of people that are, you know, into the fight for clean waters. And one of the things that, um, well, one of the common philosophies out there is that you have to attend these city meetings and you have to be part of the solution or another week's going to go by another month's going to go by and nothing's going to get done so i've been going to these city meetings not the most eventful things in the world that's for sure but you know as you start to go to more and more city meetings you start to kind of get the the lay of the land and um one of the things that um i'm starting to notice is that the city officials, either one, are not the sharpest tax in the room, or two, play the role of not the sharpest tax in the room. And what I mean by that is, um, it's one thing not to know, and then it's another thing to basically give answers or know enough to give really short answers or answers that um, 
most people just aren't going to be able to come in a city type meeting. Like in our city meetings, for instance, this week, the um, the thing I was interested in most was this fellow Tim from um, 954 Paddle Crew um, got together with the Surfrider Foundation and started to doing independent water tests up in uh, the small middle river where the 954 paddle crew um, often spends their days paddling. And um, so they're doing independent water tests of the city, and they are failing miserably. And the water tests are basically showing that there's fecal matter, bacteria levels um, that are crazy high, like four or five times over the... Um, warning levels and then the city is taking water tests and they're coming out fine so either one the city's lying two the city has no clue i don't think the 954 paddle crew would be lying because they can't wait to get back in the water there's no upside for them to give fraudulent test results on water quality back in the middle river so this guy tim makes this beautiful presentation and he shows all the different areas where they tested the water what the test results were and um basically proving his point that far away from some of these sewage spills the bacteria levels in the waters are so high that um, it's unsafe. So after doing the presentation and explaining that to the city, the request from 954 Paddle Crew, which I thought was a reasonable request, would be to have the city test the waters around Fort Lauderdale to make sure that as we get further and further away from these major sewer spills, that the water quality cleans up and that the tests um, of course, you know, have the right results. So they wanted the city to do more and more testing of the water and to test the water, whether or not they knew about any type of sewage spills or not. So we can see exactly what the water quality is on a consistent level. And of course the city decided that that was not a good idea. I'm not sure how they got to the, well, actually I do know how they got to this conclusion. And this is where I wonder if it's a game. Like, for instance, the reason the city thought that it was not a good idea to take multiple water tests multiple times a month to make sure that the water quality was good or it wasn't getting worse was that the adjacent cities and counties wouldn't do the same tests. So if our tests came back poor, and our water quality tests were horrible, then people wouldn't paddle or swim or jet ski or fish in Fort Lauderdale because we were recording our levels. And we would all go to different areas. We'd go to Miami, Pompano, Palm Beach, someplace else besides Fort Lauderdale because they wouldn't be doing the same tests. And therefore, even though the water could be contaminated in other places because they weren't doing tests. We wouldn't know about it. So therefore, Fort Lauderdale wouldn't do any tests. 
because they wouldn't want anybody else to go to someplace else that wasn't doing tests to get infected by bad water. <laughs> yeah, this is typical government stuff. And this lady went on to say that Fort Lauderdale shouldn't do that because then people would think that the water quality was bad in Fort Lauderdale and wasn't bad in these other places. Like the priority, there was no regard for safety. There was no regard for health problems. It was all about image. It was the fact that somebody would look at Fort Lauderdale and say, hey, the water's contaminated, so I'm going to go do my recreational water sports in other places. Which might be contaminated. So, just for the record, Fort Lauderdale would like to make sure that anybody that would like to use the water, use the water here in Fort Lauderdale, even though we know that the levels of bacteria in E. coli and stuff like that um, are too high. But if you're going to get infected, get infected here. We would hate to have you go to another place to get infected or to use the water in another place that is not tested. Only in a city meeting can you get an answer like that. And only in a city meeting can you get, I think there was, uh, let's just call it six adults that supposedly have brains in their heads that were perfectly okay with that type of explanation. Although the mayor did want to talk about it more later on. Which I'm finding out is a strategy in itself. Like there's going to be, before this whole sewage thing is said and done, there's going to be hundreds of meetings downtown. And it's a strategy, I think. It's more of a strategy by the city um, to have a whole bunch of different meetings because they know that everyday Americans, they know the people that have jobs and stuff aren't going to be able to attend all these meetings. I actually met a fella. I met a fellow that was um, fighting the city basically because of the infrastructure problems that we've had for over four years. And something happened like four years ago where there was a major problem, major issue, kind of like what happened here recently where a whole bunch of people um, got overly concerned, or I shouldn't say overly concerned, but a whole bunch of people got alarmed about the water quality and... A big group of them showed up to the city meetings and demanded that the city get on top of it. This was about four years ago. And when the group started, there was approximately 40 people in the group. Well, four years later and 420 meetings later, the one guy that I met that's still fighting the fight is still standing out of the 40. And because there were so many meetings and because it was drawn out for so long that your average working person can't stay on top of what the government is doing in your local areas. Like, there's just no way. You have to be able to commit to going to these meetings and following up on what these people in the government are doing consistently all the time. So it's kind of unfair. It's like um, full-time professionals 
with their agenda that are supposedly representing the working people, the people that are actually in the tax base, the constituents. But that's not the case. That's not the way it works. Kind of weird, kind of sad. So anyway, I've been going to these city meetings, and I'm starting to listen to this stuff, and I'm starting to understand how decades can go by without anything getting done. And I'm starting to witness this firsthand. Other cool stuff that happened this week, I had this guy Kevin Conkren in for a podcast. I thought that was pretty cool. Kevin did a great job. Kevin's a part of a group called Save Fort Lauderdale. And um, we did a podcast this week and we put it up. I thought it was pretty good. Also, Lamont Jones from Better Duck Studios started (coughs) a new film production, a documentary on Fort Lauderdale and the sewage issues. It's a story about Fort Lauderdale. And about the leaders in Fort Lauderdale. And basically what they've done or what they've let happen um, here in our city. And we started doing interviews for the documentary this week, which is kind of cool. We um, scheduled a bunch of people to go up to Tarpon River Brewing. They have a beautiful room in there with a backboard or background of the old photos of the new river from the 1950s and 60s and we sat um kevin conkren um, will demler um mitchell vital we also had um julian siegel and we sat them down to do interviews for the documentary so that started this week we'll be making that documentary i don't know i reckon that thing will take a pretty good long time to make just the way filmmaking is but Lamont Jones from Better Duck Studios started the, the documentary this week, so kind of cool. One of the things that was not cool about filming the documentary this week is that we dunked the drone. Yeah, Lamont thought it would be a good idea for us to get some drone footage of the area and the waterways and the way the water would flow. So we get this super fancy production dude who's used to working steady cams and also is used to working drones and doing drone footage so we go down to the uh, intercoastal there where we think we want to get some good footage we get the drone out the drones always look cool the drone starts up it sounds cool everything's cool the drone goes up about 100 150 feet it gets over the water they start taking photographs and film and the drone hits a branch of an overlying tree and splashes into the canal system Totally blew, totally blew the drone footage, which totally blew the rest of the day, because at that point, we went home, and we got the boat, and we went over where the drone fell on the water, and we got the cast net out, and we spent about an hour and a half trying to get the drone unsuccessfully. So we lost the drone that day. After throwing the net about 20 times and not being able to find the drone... We just decided to go on about our business and keep getting footage. So we were able to take the boat and um, roll up the Tarpon River where one of the sewage spills were to see how it looked. And um, 
that was the first time I've been up in that river. And I think that first spill was about a month ago where it didn't stink like holy hell. So that was good. Didn't look very good. The water is still pretty funky looking in there and stuff, but it did not stink. I also saw schools of mullet in the Tarpon River this week. First sign of life I've seen in the Tarpon River since the um, break with some pretty decent schools of hog leg in there. So um, that was definitely good. That was definitely what I needed to see. I didn't see any other fish in there. I didn't see any other birds. I didn't see the small fish. Uh, there was a whole lot of crud moved around, but considering the devastation that canal went through, having schools of mullet in there and it not stinking, we'll take that as a stride forward. That's pretty much it with the water, except with all the different, um, keys guides and fishing experts from around the world. And, um, they were gracious enough to have me up at their home and have me on their podcast last week. Um, or at least to record it last week. I think the podcast episode will actually be coming out in a, in a few weeks. But um, I thought that was cool. I thought that was cool. Something neat, something different. Um, got a chance to go to Andy's house. It's like a giant man cave. Freaking world records mounted on the walls and stuff fly fishing gear all over the place that particular night they were doing podcasting so they had cameras and they had microphones up all over the place he took me into his back room where he had all his different fly gear and his fly rods and his tippets from different fish that he caught and won different tournaments with and um had a great time so if you haven't uh heard about the uh, millhouse podcast now you have subscribe you know check it out and um, if you get a chance to listen to the episode that I did with Andy Mill, let me know what you thought about it. Also, too, as I got to start, um, I need more reviews on um, iTunes. If you guys like the podcast, give me a five-star review on iTunes. Five-star rating and write a nice little review. I guess that's how you get more and more and more people um, to listen to your podcast because the more ratings that you get, the better you do in the search engines. And really, that's kind of like the only way to really promote a podcast. So, um, yeah, rate and review the podcast. Give me a five-star rating if you would. be awfully nice of you. Also, too, we're going to... Um, we're going to recognize the audience that we have so far is what I want to call the core audience. The real guy audience is the core audience. See, every time we um, every time we upload a new podcast, every time we upload a new episode, in the first week, we have about, uh, let's call it 75% of all the people that listen to the podcast. We usually listen to it in the first week. That is what we call our core audience. Those are the people that have been in tune to the Real Guy Network from a lot of them from day one. And um, we're going to be doing a giveaway for the core listeners. And um, 
That giveaway is going to include a fishing trip with me. I'm going to take you out tarpon fishing. We're going to have two or three different parts of the giveaway. We'll give away some shirts, some hats, some stickers, and that kind of thing. But um, I want to try to get a database before the podcast um, starts getting too big where we're not sure who the core audience is. Right now we know who the core audience is. Um, but one of the things that have happened since we started doing the more content on some of the environmental-based issues like the sewage spill and, um, you know, are you ready for change and that type of thing, um, we, are, we are growing our audience. And the audience is growing with not the, the typical fisherman type that... Um, the core audience is. So as the podcast grows and grows and grows, um, we really wanted to make sure we could identify our core audience, which would be the people that are listening and have been listening to the podcast um, from the beginning. So um, stay tuned for that. Um, we're going to start promoting that. And um, real simple, you just give us an email. Um, so you can register, and um, we'll be picking winners. But everybody that registers, everybody that sends me their email, will automatically get um, our new sticker pack. And we're doing a new sticker um, for the Real Guy Podcast. It'll be the Real Guy Podcast sticker and, of course, the regular RTD sticker. Um, everybody that joins the um, – or everybody that sends me an email that's part of the core audience will automatically get that. And then you will be eligible to win the fishing trip with me. And um, that should uh, that should give us a pretty good start on um, who our real core listeners are. So, as we get deeper into the season, happens as February comes and we start booking up thick over here. I think I only have about six days left in March that are open and maybe 10 days left in April that are open. Uh, we'll get out a podcast to you every single week for sure. Um, but this is the time, this is the time where um, we're going to bang out just a ton of trips. So I'll try to get more in one week out to you, but definitely get our one a week out. And as we grow the audience um, and we grow the database, we will keep you guys posted on the contests that are going to be going on. And, um, thanks for listening. This is Captain Jeff from Red Bull.